Hello, everybody. Welcome to Monday Night Live. Tonight, I have got an old friend of mine, Steve Head, with us. Let me tell you about Steve. I've known him for 20 years. We both did uh, a project for the uh, National Health Service. Uh, uh, I was coaching accountants on negotiation skills. Steve is a performance coach. And recently, he gave 11 years, a number of days up for 11 years to coach the uh, rugby wheelchair team for England who won the World Cup in December last year. You may have seen it on the television. It was absolutely fantastic. And I'm going to ask Steve today to share some of his skills on the mental aspects of sport, which he is an expert on. Steve, thanks for joining Monday Night Live yet again. It's absolute pleasure to have you with us. Tell us about the uh, wheelchair uh, rugby uh, team and how you work with them but also tell me and tell us about your signature intro which I absolutely love I've seen it about 10 times but I just think <laughs> it's fantastic well it's funny you should say that anyway thank you for the introduction that's very kind every time I hear myself introduced I was thinking I wonder who that is he sounds good <laughs> anyway my background with wheelchair rugby league you'll be careful with this if you stand in front of that team and say rugby they'll pull you over very sharpish you've got to say wheelchair England wheelchair rugby league team and it was 11 years ago I started working with them um, and you've got to bear in mind the squad changes you know they get players that come and go so it's not the same group of players it's it changes five years ago the campaign started for this world cup with various things in the way postponements COVID and all the things you know you know about um, I'll, I'll, I'll bring it back to what my job is with them my job is not to perform under pressure um, I have a very small role compared to all the other people that do amazing things, logistics and all that stuff. But um, the guy that brought me in, that's probably the best link, is Martin Coyd, who is the general manager of England Wheelchair Rugby League. Uh, his full time job at the time was working in construction. I was doing some work with them, helping them to minimize uh, risk on building sites with health and safety. Um, and Martin liked what I did. And he says, look, I've just taken over this role with England Wheelchair Rugby League. Would you help? And so I went in to see the team 11 years ago. And then every time I've done interventions in the sequential um, international games, uh, I've popped in to do various sessions for about an hour and a half, two hours, just to give them a bit of a top up on mindset and connectivity, which are two very important things as a team to be glued together and understand each other and also have a, be able to cope with stress and pressure. Um, which brings me to my signature thing that you've mentioned. So the very first time I met them, uh, this group, this particular squad, as well as previous squads, uh, I open the session with a bit of an intro, talk about performance, talk about mindset, and then I'll say, right, have a look at this. So this is what I do, basically. Now, I've got different dress. I've got a lot of pictures. I think I'm probably see everybody actually on these screens. How many people have never seen me present before? Who's on? Who's looking at the screen right now? Anybody never seen me before? Quite a few of you. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Right. So this is. We'll do this live, right? Just as a test run. This is what I do, basically. Um, so this is not just for wheelchair rugby. 60% of my work is NHS, whether that be working with, you know, acute trusts, uh, mental health trusts, whatever, in frontline care, as well as support services, finance, procurement, and so on. Um, so I use this day-to-day -day with all my organisations that I get to work with. So just let's test this out. If you could just put your chat on, so I, and I'm going to put my chat on. Uh, so I've got the side of the screen here. Let's put, um, just check to see if it's working. Hopefully it is. Hopefully you can see a little hello in there. Can you see hello in the box there? Little thank you. Perfect. Yeah, so for the people who have never seen me before, this is how it works. I'll set the scene. I'm not going to run this fully to you. I'm just going to show you as an anecdote to explain how I, how I do this. Um, and I'm going to show you a visual. Um, and I'm going to ask you to type into chat 
a, a comment, a bit of feedback for me on what you both see. That's all it is. So as soon as you see the visual, I'll, I'll display it to you in a second. You should be able to see it fine. I'll even bring it close to the camera so there's no uh, question of being able to see it. And just type in chat. If you've seen me before, please don't do a thing. Just let this slide by. And then I'll bring you back in to the session in a sec. So you ready? Going to give me a bit of feedback with a little typed comment. All right. So here we go. As soon as you see it, have about two seconds to process it, maybe five, and then type a little comment. And that's it. That's the slide. Just have to type a comment. It's held up close to the camera. Hopefully you can see that. I've got a bit of a glisten on it because it's a shiny screen. Have a little look at that. Tell me what you think. There you go. I'm showing it at different angles so you can get it. That's it. Now, oh, that's quite heavy, so thank you for taking your time. That's brilliant. Good. And so that's it. And, and then you get a screen in, 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 in a Zoom. If you're all looking at chat, you get a big scroll. If there's 100 people, you get lots and lots of comments. And as soon as I show this, if I stand in front of an audience, if it wasn't for the mics going on in a bit of noise, I would do it with, cam with mics on. Recently, I'm obviously in rooms most of the time now with people. So I've got 100 people in a room and I'll go shout out some feedback. And inevitably, somebody shouts out, that's one's wrong, four fours are 16, mistake. I showed this the NHS finance conference not so long ago and somebody shouted out, uh, good enough. I get that sort of comment. Um, so they're the sort of things people say and it gets people focused on a message, which is principally what Derek and I were talking about just a bit earlier, is people tend to focus on the 15. They don't tend to focus so much on uh, the one, the four and the nine. And I call this the one, four, nine effect. In fact, my next book, um, I'm planning of the next couple of years, I've been working on it a long time, is probably going to be called the 149 effect, which is really paying attention to the stuff that works at least as much as the stuff that doesn't. So trying to remember there are many reasons to celebrate in the world. And of course, the media is very focused on the 15. Social media is always focused on the 15, it would appear. And so I make my business about focusing on helping people, both from a mindset perspective and a cultural perspective, create a positive environment that's fertile for growth and positivity and inclusion. And 15 is the critical negative kind of constant um, um, oppressive kind of regime you often see in some organizations. Now, that is basically my job is to get people away from a 15 mindset to a 149 mindset or a 15 culture to a 149 culture. I should be clear, I get asked a lot as I've presented over the years, You'll say to me, Steve, you must have the positive gene. You're a very positive person. You've got lots of positive energy. You know, some of us haven't got that. I should be clear. I was born in Gateshead, right? There are, do you know how many hours of sunlight you get in Gateshead every year? About two, right? So I wasn't brought up positive. My mother, on the 16th of November, 1963, when she gave birth to me, I'm sure, did not hold me up like a Lion King moment. It went, Alan, we've got a cheerful one. The other two are miserable. This one's a cracker, right? I was just born. And I think my mother's always the third boy of three and thought, oh, change your own nappy. That's my life. I was brought up in a family with a father in the civil service. My mother had severe mental health problems, very depressed all of her life. I had a disabled brother in a wheelchair, but cerebral palsy, needed a lot of help and support. Mm. Middle brother became an accountant. So I wasn't brought up to be positive. I think it is a practice. I think it takes a bit of effort to get out into bed in the morning and think I'm going to pay attention to that versus a potential attention to this. So, it's, and, and going into organizations like the NHS is a great example, constantly being hit hard, whether that be the day-to-day -day pressures of actual capacity issues versus demand, whether that be the media knocking them, financial issues, salaries, feeling unloved, all the stuff you know, 
And I haven't got the answers to all of that. I don't think anybody has. But if you can go into a room, as I see every day in my life, and watch, I did a conference last week, which was the Royal College of Midwives. As it happens, that was online because it was a national event. I did an hour and a half slot teaching methodologies because there's also techniques, not just saying 149. It's got to be more than that. And they come with lists of things they're going to use and do and apply in their lives. And I get the feedback either on, on chat, uh, which is incredible. Thank you. Uplifting. Reminding me why I became a midwife. You know, and all I've done really is emphasize behaviors and practices in 149 versus 15. And that's pretty much it. And, and interestingly, one last little point back to rugby league. I started with the rugby league lads, talked about this, and we went through a number of processes behind it. Last year in March, leading up to the last nine months of the World Cup, I had to help them prepare by getting their values crystallized in their heads, what behaviors would help them um, towards the World Cup final. And the first value they agreed on as a group of 19 players at the time was celebrate all the wins. The very first value, which is fundamentally based upon this principle, never let a success go by on and off the pitch. If somebody does something well, you pay attention to it, you, you, you want to know, understand it, you scrutinize it, just as much as you would scrutinize a failure or a mess up or a mistake. Because I would never say to any audience, ignore bad things, they'll go away. That's a crazy message. I would always say, pay attention as you always will to the things that need fixing, but equally pay attention to the one, the four and the nine. And that's principally it. And there's loads you can do with that. I can spend seven hours on it, but I've only done 10 minutes. I love it, Stephen. I think it's great. And I think, um, can other people use that if they give credit to you? I'm always wor being worried about plagiarism in, uh, in speaking. We've seen people plagiarise things. I don't care. I really don't care. I mean, I mean, I'm actually quite flattered when people try. I've seen people do it before, actually, really badly. So I just, I would just say, if you're going to try an idea like this, make it your own. You know, you have to. I've seen a thing on on Twitter actually. Albert Einstein's got one because mates of mine sent it me and go, you know, was it on, wasn't was it Einstein? Not him doing it, by the way. I think he's not around anymore. But. <laughs> Albert Einstein uh, was set on, it's on Twitter, I've seen it, and he does, he's apparently teaching something, I don't know if it's him or not, somebody just put his name to it, and it's something like um, the nine times table, I think he does, one times nine, there's nine, two nines are 18, three nines, and it's the whole nine times table with a mistake on the last one, and there's a whole spiel and says, Einstein showed us to be students, and he asked them, what do you notice, and one of the students says, you know, the last one, you know, 12, 12 nines aren't that, and uh, I just thought, yeah, it's fine, and it's the same principle, and mine's the same. I don't know who invented it, probably Einstein. And then so he nicked it off somebody else. All it is is getting the point across using a simple metaphor. And if it works for you and it helps you motivate your colleagues, your family, your friends, your staff, you know, I, I really don't mind. You know, if somebody says, I saw Steve Head presented as a precursor, if that's what you did, that's fine. But I'm not precious about that at all. I think I do my stuff, I do it best I can. And if people want to nick it, twist it, change it, then crack on, enjoy okay. it. That's great, Steve, because I think, um, you know, everybody on here is positive. That's why they come on on Monday Night Live. And therefore, we've got a duty to help other people change their mindsets with all this negativity that's about at the moment. Mm. Thanks for that. Sorry. Have you got any more questions for me? Because I can give you another little spiel if you want. Well, the next question is really, um, how did you fire these people up? These uh, The Wheelchair Rugby rugby League, I've got that right, haven't I? Yeah, They're yeah. They're all paying their own expenses. There's hardly any sponsorship, etc. I imagine. So, you know, they've all got other jobs they have to do. So how do you get them there? How do you get them around that? And um, 
what's your specific role apart from 149? Right, right. so so um, over the, 11 years ago, that would have been unbelievably accurate. I think there was a lot of work behind the scenes with a, with a sort of, a, sort of um, part of rugby league that was not really recognised, was develop, developing, evolving. Um, we were the world champions, I think, 2007-8. I came along 2011, I think, when I first got asked. Um, you've got to bear in mind my role is quite small. And I, one of my presentations years ago was making the 1% difference, playing on the idea of marginal gains. You know, you, you, know you, you just have to add that one little nugget. So I think my role is that 1%. It's a tiny part of a, a team of people who are dedicated and support this squad, like Martin Coy, the general manager, um, and a number of other parties who are who are who are with the squad at every training event, every camp, every you know all the online stuff. I come along literally for this. You know, Martin wants me to help the team when I'm required, which is maybe half a dozen interventions over, or maybe six or seven interventions over a one and a half year period. Where can you come and just reinforce this particular way of thinking or this methodology to help us cope with pressure? So. And you're right, there's not a lot of money in. There was a bit more sponsorship towards the end when the BBC got involved. Um, so my job was to help them with two things, mindset, especially when they're under pressure and feeling like, you know, it's not going so well, self-confidence maybe, but also um, connectivity. So feeling connected as a team. So there's two rules in that. On the mindset thing, you start with this as a, as a sort of metaphor. Then you teach methodologies. So I'll give you an example. Um, so you'll have heard of, and again, I'm, I'm, some of you will have heard of this. Have you come across Steve Peters' chimp paradox? Have you heard of that? Anybody by a little show of hands? I see that. So if you haven't, don't worry. It, it, the best way to describe Steve Peters is he's a psychiatrist of 40 years experience. He wrote a book about a decade ago now, maybe, called The Chimp Paradox. He got famous because he coached the Team GB cyclists. And he become, because then we started winning loads of gold medals. Steve set a company up, he's got psychologists work for him who go around teaching chimp management, right? That's what he does. Um, and so my, I, I obviously understand that because in, in sports coaching, you're always helping people handle their most sort of volatile part of the brain. So one of the first things I did, I'll show you this actually quick. It's quite a nice little thing to demonstrate. So I, I'll just show you this, just a simple version of this, but Right, so I'm not going to do Steve Peters' Chimp Paradox in its entirety. It's a very thick book. It's got 40 years of his experience. He's a clinical psychiatrist, forensic psychiatrist, and he helped Ronnie O'Sullivan over his depression and win his uh, seventh world championship last year. He helped the wheelchair rugby league team. He's a phenomenal guy with you know huge amount of experience, not in sport specifically, but certainly helping people deal with pressure. I went to see the rugby league lads. That could be my spin on it. And I said to the rugby league lads, like, tell me, What's the most, what's the one thing that can wind you up more than anything emotionally in the middle of a rugby match? And unanimously, it was a biased referee. Being on the pitch and decisions being made that put out of our control that we can't fight against. And if you don't know how it works, wheelchair rugby league is played in a sports hall. They call it the pitch, but it's a sports hall. It's about 40 yards by 20 yards. It's a very fast paced game, probably three, four times faster than the, than the runners game. And and you've got five players at any one time on the pitch. And if one player um, is off for any second or even mentally switched off, you can pretty much guarantee the opposition will get a try in that you cannot really be out of it for very long mentally. And if you swear at the referee or behave badly, unlike football, where you might get a yellow card or even just go, don't do that anymore. You can get sinned in for 10 minutes. 
And if you send Ben one of our players for 10 minutes, we're going to lose, assuming the other opposition are even remotely close to us. So it's really dodgy. Imagine you're getting a ref that's making constant decisions that either are in your mind or genuinely against you. It's very easy to get wound up and get very angry because there's a lot of adrenaline in this game. So the first question I ever asked them, I says, what winds, what winds you up? And they said, a biased referee, right? There's, there's various reasons for that. So then I showed them this just as a general thing. So I said, well, introduce them to this. This is, again, it's a bit like you said about plagiarizing the stealing stuff. Steve Peters is the man that came up with the concept of chimp paradox. I'm just doing a sort of Stevie head spin on it. So what he does is he describes the, 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 the brain in the following way. It's quite simple. You've got the chimp, which is the emotional part of the brain. You've got the human, which is the rational part of the brain. And you've got the autopilot. And the autopilot is where you store all of your stuff, right, in your head, right? And all your experiences, your memories, everything you've ever done is hardwired into here. Now, here's how the, the, the human works, really. We have the stimulus. Me talking to you is a stimulus. You know, a, a, a challenging email is a stimulus. Um, I don't know, COVID was a huge stimulus in our lives. And in the case of wheelchair rugby, a referee that makes a decision consistently through a match that just seems to push you the wrong way, giving penalties away and so on. So then you've got the chimp receives the stimulus. Weirdly, you'd think, wouldn't you, the most rational part of the brain would do it. You, there's another book actually that's very relevant to this that probably plays into it. If you come across, um, Daniel Kahneman wrote a book called Thinking Fast and Slow. There's an award-winning piece of research. There's a couple of nods. Nancy, you're, you're nodding to that. He talks about the human being can only function because we can react and respond intuitively to stuff very quickly. That's the, the system one thinking, as Daniel Kahneman calls it. System two thinking is the more thoughtful, detailed, analytical view. Now, if you think about it, you couldn't function if you did it. If you had to analyze everything before you could do anything, you get your till roll at the end of your shopping to Tesco's with 47 items on it, and you'd be adding it all up before you walked out. Whereas you intuitively go, oh, that looks about right, and you leave it. You know, you're always making decisions. So system one, which is analogous to the chimp, that reactive state. So as soon as something happens in your life, your chimp receives the stimulus, it sends a little signal in the millisecond, and it says, what do we think about that? And it depends on what the wiring we have as to how we react. And so we have to teach people that what their wiring would do if a certain stimulus came in. And if it's unfairness, like, it's like a referee that makes a dodgy decision, for example, the chimp goes, what do we think about that? And if you think that's unfair, your chimp goes, ah, it's happening again. And you go off on one, which is great, except you can lose the match if you behave like that. So being aware of that is really helpful. Now to take it out of rugby, to make it into more real life for you, because you don't play rugby league, I'll just step aside of the rugby league story. And I'll tell you a quick anecdote to illustrate this, because I know you don't all play real chair rugby league. You might not even do any sport. You may be retired. You may be thinking, I just come on here to learn a few little nuggets I can use in my life. So let me give you a nugget you can use in your real life based on this kind of principle, which, which is my understanding of it. So I've been married to my wife, Abby. I point over there because she's in the house. This is my office in the garden. She's over there somewhere uh, for 30 years in June. And um, we married, we met in January 93, married in June of 93. So we've known each other for five months from there. Now, um, the only downside about marrying somebody after five months, by the way, is you can't possibly know anything about them. Right? You find that out when you've got moved in together. So I was brought up in Gateshead, she was born in Newcastle. We live in Newbury in Berkshire, central southern England, but we're both brought up not far from each other as it happens. 
And my upbringing, I've described very briefly. You know, I had a very interesting family with a disabled brother who needed a lot of help and support. Got my mother who was depressed clinically for the best part of 40 years. In fact, that's probably what killed her at the end of the day, this mental health and the things that go with all of that. Um, my dad was a civil servant, making ends meet, working class family, yada, yada. So that's the background. I wasn't brought up in a cheerful house, right? It was just a house. It was funny, it was sad, it was everything. Um, one thing I did realize, hardwired into me is tidying up because my mother hated mess. So Hoover Dustin, if I had a tattoo, it would say Hoover Dustin tidy up, that'd be me. You're looking at the tidiest bloke in the world. So if you were to look into my brain for hardwiring as a kid, if, if I didn't do my bed, put stuff away, Hoover, clean, put everything in its place, my mother would go ballistic, absolutely ballistic. So I learned very early in my formative years, keep the house tidy, put everything away, and life will be bearable in our house. And so if you were to look inside my brain and you were to look at how many neurons like are allocated in my total brain of everything I've ever learned and done as, as a percentage of the capacity of my brain, it would look something like... It's big, Steve. Right, big. that's how many neurons are in my brain that are tidying up, right? Now, I married my wife, Abby. She was brought up in a family in Newcastle with her mum and dad who met in the Caribbean on a cruise ship. Her father's a guitarist and mother's a hairdresser in the Caribbean on a cruise ship, right? Just put that together. Now, I got to meet Abby, fell in love, got married very quickly, learned about the family. And I learned that they had a family motto. I think it was unofficial, but I think it went something like, leave it out because you might need it again. Because not once in 30 years has my wife ever said, that needs putting away. I'm surprised we took the Christmas tree down. I'm going to use this black pen to illustrate in comparison, just for comparison reasons, how many neurons I believe are allocated in my wife's brain for tidying up. Now, you can see the conflict here because on, on the 23rd of March, 2020, Boris Johnson had the audacity to stand on the front of the telly and say, stay at home under the same roof 24 hours a day. Can you see the conflict? Because I, I, I normally go on the road and I find it a release. So the problem here is I'm hardwired. I can't not see mess. I don't want to see mess. I just can't not see it. Just like our lads in the rugby team can't not instantly recognize when a referee is being biased. They just can't, they just see it. And it, it, it just bubbles out of them. When I walk into my house, I teach, I teach this every day of my life, 149. Every day I go into rooms and say, look at the good stuff, pay attention to what's working, give more praise, give more recognition, support your colleagues. You know, I don't say ignore 15s, just be more attentive to the good stuff. I'd be a hypocrite if I walked through my front door and the first thing I did was pick fault. So I, I put a little system in our marriage. It's got a name. It's called the four minutes rule. And the four minute rule simply says when you walk through the front door of your house or from one team's meeting to another or from one transitional moment, no matter what it is, you can't say anything negative or critical about anything to anyone for four minutes. That's it. So. I walk through the front door of my house. I can be away all day long. I get to the front door. I open the door to find shoes in the hall, four feet from something we like to call a shoe cupboard. Guess what's in the shoe cupboard? My shoes, colour-coded left to right. But no one's putting stuff away when I'm out the house. So I walk in and I see the shoes. Actually, I don't. My chimp sees the shoes. My chimp sees them and it goes, ah! Oh! But I can't say anything because of the four-minute rule. I just have to pause and go, excellent. Then I walk <laughs> in the kitchen and Abby's cooked a meal. She's a good cook. It's not, the method, it's not the outcome I'm interested in, it's the methodology, because she uses every pan and every spatula we've ever owned in the history of time. 
I made a chicken sweet and sour the other night, chicken, garlic, ginger, the whole lot. There was four plates of sweet and sour, a Dettol bench, a clean cooker, and a dishwasher ready to start. I've made an omelet, I couldn't get in the kitchen, right? There's a difference in approach. So my chimp can't not see mess and my wife can't see it. We, we, have, we have a little game, right? Abby doesn't even know it's a game. She teaches Zumba, my wife. I was sitting watching the telly recently and the house was in Mac, I've been here all day, you know, lines in the carpet and all that. And my wife came in from Zumba and she walked past me in the living room. She sat in the sofa, she said, oh, I'm exhausted. I said, was it a good class? She said, oh, I am exhausted. And she decided to take her shoes off, like boots, these Zumba boots. She took her shoe off, flung it on the floor, took the shoe off, flung it off, peeled the sweaty sock off, flung it on the floor, peeled the sweaty sock off, flung it on the floor and went, oh. Now I'm watching TV and my chimp's going, put your shoes in the middle of the room. But I can't say anything, four minute rule, I just go, leave it, leave it. Then the game begins. Then the game begins. And the game is, who's gonna move them first? Have you ever played this game? It's what keeps your marriage alive, right? Who's gonna move them first? The trouble is, Abby doesn't know the game exists. It's only me that knows about the game. And I'm just looking at the shoes. I'm trying to watch the telly, I'm looking at the shoes, trying to watch the telly. And then I think, right, and I get in the, and we chimp, and we get stung, we go, we're not moving them. This is it, this is the end. And I go to work the next day and I'm on the road from four o'clock and I drive somewhere cheering people up against their will. And I drive back home and I get to my front door and I walk down the hall and the, my living room's on the left. And I can't even, I don't want to look, but my chimp goes, ah, and they're there. Only now there's another three pairs because my kids are just like Abby and they've seen the shoes and thought, is this where we keep shoes now? And then who gives up on the game first? Me, if there's one thing I've learned in life, some things are worth fighting over and some things aren't and tidiness isn't one of them. So I end up putting them away and that's what keeps me happy. I've worked out to keep me, me, chip, me chip calm. But the bottom line is when you work with wheelchair rugby league players, they've got to know that they will be upset by the referee and they're not going to change the wiring. What they can do is put different wiring in here, which is my job as a coach, so that we don't get too drawn into the things that we can do nothing about and focus on the things that we can. And the final point is this. There is a methodology. I'll give you this four minute rule you can have. It's, a bit, it's just press a pause button. Don't overreact because your chimp will calm down and you'll think, wasn't worth it. This is a um, simple concept. The whole rugby league team have pretty much built their principles around it. I've got to tell you this because this is bloody brilliant. It's called a glimpse of brilliance. Bob, that is. A glimpse of brilliance is an experience from the past that has gone well that you pay attention to. So if you've had a brilliant match and you've scored some fantastic tries, analyze the footage, break it down. How can we repeat that fantastic behavior again? Make sense? Playing, playing off what we've done. So Tom Coyd, chief coach, head coach, rings me about three months before the World Cup. And he says, we just want to just reinforce some positive thinking, confidence stuff into the team. And he says, we've started doing breaking bread. And I said to him, what's breaking bread? He says, it's pretty much what you taught us. I says, I've never heard of it. Well, he says, oh no, it's, it's basically glimpse of brilliance, but it's called breaking bread. And I said to him, right, tell me how it works. And he says, well, you know, when we have dinner after training camp, all the, all the teams sit round. We've got the managers and the coaches and the physios and the doctors. And we're all there. We're going to get our steak and chips and our food ready to feed the body for the next day's training. And one of the players will either stand up or in that wheelchair, will just look across the room and point to another player and say, I just want to say, Jack, thanks for getting the wheelchairs out this morning. I was late. I wasn't in the mood and really helped. Really appreciate it. And then Wayne, who's, who broke his spine many years ago in a motorcycle accident, actually, he'll sit there. He's been on the squad for 11 years that I know of. And he'll go, thanks for bringing breakfast over this morning. I wasn't in the mood and 
when you dish my breakfast up in front of me, save me going and getting it, oh, it made such a difference. And this goes on until it's exhausted and then they stop. And I, I was privileged to be down the semi-finals night, the World Cup, and um, I witnessed it firsthand. I witnessed the compliments and the praise and the acknowledgement of each other's commitment to each other on the team. And uh, even Simo, who's retired now, he stood up and said to the lads, you know, 13 years ago tonight, I got smashed up. Simo lost his legs in Afghanistan on a landmine. Everybody in the room knew that, but when he said it in that moment, he says, 13 years tonight, he says, there's not a room in the world and a group of people in the world I wouldn't rather be with. And he sat down. And everybody in the room, you can't really say much about, you know, breaking bread after that. You can't say, thanks for getting the soup. That's quite a big moment, right? So he finished it off. And when we were all leaving that night to go to bed, Simo walked out the room and there was sort of a nice one, mate. And when we won the World Cup, the thing you'll have heard a lot on the BBC, if you look at any of the historical footage, is we're very connected. We're very connected. And I think the break and bread is a genius strategy. It's a great way to take a glimpse of brilliance, that is to celebrate positive and pay attention to success, but to actually make it into a praise moment. And you'll probably know this. I'm probably teaching grandma that suck eggs here, but social support is one of the most powerful strategies for building connectivity and trust in an organization. So I've been going around my NHS clients the last two months since I heard the phrase breaking bread as a concept and I've seen it and I've seen what it does to a group of people who feel bonded and trusting each other. And I've said, do you do this in your huddles in the morning when you get your stuff together? Just five minutes of breaking bread, five minutes of just giving an acknowledgement to something you're grateful for with your colleagues in the team. And I've got staff sitting in the room writing it down. I know they're gonna use it. I know they're gonna use it. And back to your point, Derek, about plagiarism and stealing stuff. I am flattered when I get a text from a chief nurse or from a matron or from someone that says, we've brought breaking bread into our department. It's really lifted the morale of the team. So why wouldn't you do breaking bread? All based on 149, all based on glimpse of brilliance, all based on connectivity. That's my job with wheelchair rugby. That's my job. That's what I do for a living. Fantastic, Steve. Now, I, you sent me a WhatsApp. You very kindly reminded me that the Wheelchair Rugby League final was on uh, BBC on a Friday night. I sat there with a nice glass of beer and I watched it. It was fantastic. And we were behind at one stage. I didn't think we were going to win it, but there was a French referee. And um, to <laughs> me, as a layman, I thought he was really biased. Now, don't comment on that part of it. The BBC thought it was, were trying to say that he might have been biased as well. And bearing in mind, we were playing, playing France as well. Um, how did you handle that? And how did the guys handle that? Uh, I, I, at that point, it's too late for me to get involved at all. I'm standing just watching like the rest, right? So that's why we do what we do. I have to say afterwards, the retrospective view of that was there were some dubious decisions, let's say, um, my understanding from what in the, in the public um, domain is that the referee was suspended pending an inquiry on that. So I don't know what's happening with that. Um, I think you forgot there was two million people watching in BBC or watching this time. But anyway, <laughs> suffice it to say, it, I could see the I know the players well. I know I know their personalities reasonably well. And I could see one or two potentially biting because um, there was some quite weird decisions being made. But what I think the solution to that or the answer to that was just being aware of this really you know they all knew they all knew that this was being riled they all knew there was a force that sometimes can be but we taught them how to stay calm how to pay attention how to redress how to regroup there's a principle called act as if in sports performance it's in business as well as i brought it in there but it's where you act the best version of you you sort of regroup and like almost physiologically and mentally position yourself so you pay attention to a 
something positive. So replay a good experience, like emotional anchors. You probably come across that. Mm -hmm. So you just play some play. So we just teach these principles so that no matter how much frustration you might have with something like that, you just know that you can just continue to play your best performance. So it's a case of training your brain to pay attention to something more useful, really, and not letting that get to you. Because if we had, if we genuinely let that get us get to us, I don't think we won by one try and four points. And so there's no question doubt with the speed of that game, that would not have happened. If anything, I think we used that energy to get even more determined. If anything, I think it was it was great. If you haven't seen it, I don't want to make you watch Realty Rugby League. I didn't really want it to be just about that tonight, but um, it is one of those things. My wife came to several games. My wife's not a sports person at all. And, you know, I know she absolutely was blown away by watching these guys commit everything in the most dynamic, fast pace game with the most incredible human beings you could ever want to be with. So mm. you can't help but feel, if you come away from watching it, you think, you know what, pretty good. So, yeah, and I think we just dealt with it well. We just redirected our energy and made sure that we were focused on what we can do something about uh, versus what we can't. Because the other thing we embedded into the team nine months before, I was asked to do a session on values that they wanted, which would guide their behaviours. And it won't surprise you to know the first one I said is celebrating all the wins, which is 149. And the other one of the other values is um, uh, personal responsibility. So, you know, which has really got a lot in it, but fundamentally do what you can do something about uh, in the moment. And that's pretty good to have at least pre-thought through in those kind of situations. So anyway, yeah, so I think we directed our attention well. I think we focused on what we could do something about. We had good movies to play. I'm a great believer if you're under pressure and you're self-doubting, you know, play some good movies. Got to bear in mind, we have a four-minute rule at home. We have a four-second rule on the rugby pitch because you haven't got four minutes to recover from a problem. You've got to get over it pretty sharpish. Mm. Um, you know, yeah. I know we've only a short time tonight. These things aren't easy to teach in the short term, but I think yeah. a lot of them, when you teach this stuff, the people like you all watching this tonight, you all know this and we all kind of know what to do. And sometimes people like me in our jobs, we just reinforce the obvious. Does that make sense? It's not like we're changing the world or we're just reminding people to do stuff that, is probably more helpful than not. Yeah, Steve, that's absolutely fantastic. And you have made the points in uh, under 30 minutes. Very, very clear. A couple of, couple of points from me. I watched it on TV. The momentum was swinging in the French direction at one stage. I think it was about five minutes before the end of the match. Uh, momentum is a very interesting thing in, uh, in psychology and sports because it was with you. And uh, the team managed to change the momentum round and... Uh, and swung it. And the other thing I'd say is this looks a very dangerous game to me. These wheelchairs <laughs> smash into each other like the dodgems uh, at the fun fair, but on uh, on speed. And uh, people were falling. People with no legs were falling out the wheelchair and jumping back in and all sorts of things. I couldn't believe there are a couple of uh, non uh, non disabled people in the team, aren't they? I think that that's the rules. Presumably there is there is a little bit of a like, I suppose, a, a thing because there was a bit of PR going on during the campaign, wasn't it? Because it got BBC coverage. Um, yeah, it's it's I didn't start working with the team because of any political correct, you know, statement I want to make. But it is a very inclusive team because you can have men, women, disabled and able bodied. There isn't the male, female wheelchair rugby league team. It's just a team. We've got Freya on the team. She didn't make it to the final squad. She was on commentary most of the way through it, actually. BBC got her in there. We've got, um, you have to have at least three disabled on the pitch at any one time of the five. Um, we've got three or four able-bodied and the rest are disabled. 
um, and the range of disabilities are very broad, but it means basically you can have, for example, one of our players, his dad plays for Ireland and we played against Ireland. And so he's playing against his dad and, you know, it's, you know, and it's amazing to watch somebody who's, wheel, who's wheelchair bound playing with their father. So it, it equals everything out. It sort of benchmarks everything out. And it is a sport that some describe as brutal. I don't think the rugby league fraternity like it to be described like that, but it is a word the Joe public says. And you think of disability without any insight, you think vulnerable, maybe you think weak, maybe you think, you know, need support help, which may be true depending on the severity of a disability. I had a very severely disabled brother who needed a huge amount of support. But I think to see the strength of these people, it, it changes your perspective. It just, it gives you a whole different view of the world. You go, do you know what? There's, and also the possibilities that maybe you maybe thought you couldn't have. And what's been really good actually since the uh, World Cup is, there's been a big recruitment campaign on getting players to come along and I retweet everything on that that I see. Um, there's, there's a load of people just thought, maybe I could do that, you know, and they're all going along playing club level um, and starting to have a little play. And so I think we're going to see the sport start to grow. And I think it's great that it grows because it's an opportunity to have able-bodied and disabled people doing something on equal footing, pardon the pun, but you get what I mean. And mm -hmm. I think it's a great way to go forward. Steve, so yeah, I'm glad to be part of it. It's only a tiny part of my life. Don't get me, I mean, I do that when I get asked and I love to help and there's no money in it, but it's just something it's weird actually somebody asked me the other day of all the things you've done in 21 years in the speaker business you know what's your highlights and I said being part of that just being able to be allowed to be part of that and it's the only thing I'm not being paid for <laughs> I mean I've done little charity things and celebration things here and there but but it's weird I didn't get I, I got up on a Saturday morning drive to Sheffield you know with a team and it's just you, you think I can't believe they even want, want me to be here you know, I, I feel really lucky that they want me to be there. And of course, Brilliant. I get to tell stories about it, which is nice. Yeah, and yeah. I can, I can, I understand what I did, but again, I must be clear, you know, this is, you know, something I think is important. I think my role is so much that 1%, tiny 1%, the 99% is all of the work, all the talent and the effort and the organization and the coordination and somebody's driving vans and cleaning kit and sorting stuff to make sure these this team of people got to perform and i just did that tiny little bit on the side i'm just literally you know in the background called in when i'm needed and and they'll go off and do their thing fantastic steve thanks so much for sharing that with us and thanks for the work you uh work you're doing in that area and in the nhs we've got 30 seconds left one tip for people listening to this watching this uh um that uh, you you would give people to take into 2023 with all this negativity that's flying around? Um, every, it depends how you're feeling, but if you want to keep your momentum going, I would say consciously, if not physically, write down or pay attention every day for about a minute, two minutes a day on something that's gone well or some something that you're grateful for. There's a lot of research that I've been reading if you write three things you're grateful for in a journal or the most meaningful experience of the day, or, um, and by the way, if you do gratitude journals, work at it. Don't just write the same thing down. I'm grateful I've got, you know, I can make my own breakfast. I'm grateful I've got food in the fridge. Do something different every day. Every day. And the, 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 the psychology of that and the, the, the benefits of it are quite significant. You can have, there's some studies being shown that if you just do something for uh, three weeks, that's all it is, a three week period of time, writing three things in a journal, paying attention to something positive, writing it down for three weeks. It can have a 
can, it can have an absolute major impact on your mental well-being and sense of positivity. If you happen to want to share it with other people as well, that also is good. But I would definitely say getting to happen. I'm teaching that to all my clients at the minute. I've got some research from the Harvard Business Review and some other studies just to reinforce that. But I think it's a great, great tip. Steve, that's fantastic. Thanks for joining us once again. I hope you'll join us in a few months time yet again and share some more stories. Uh, and uh, you can get hold of Steve by Googling Steve Head or going to his website, which I think is stevehead.co.uk, Steve, isn't it? Steve at stevehead.co.uk, yeah. And uh, that's pretty much email. If you just type in Steve Head, you'll find me quite sharpish. Okay. Or if you type in, type in NHS motivational speaker, apparently I come up quite quick there as well. Oh, that's great. So, that's great. So can I ask everybody uh, on the call to give Steve the usual voter flanks from Monday Night Live? That was absolutely brilliant, Steve. Thanks for joining us. And we'll catch up with you. Um, we'll catch up with you again. Thank you very much.